Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I'm Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican Sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is the 16th episode in our series, and we'll be continuing within St. Catherine's Treatise of Prayer. In this section, the Father speaks to Catherine about the need for prayer for priests. We'll begin with the subsection, how this soul rendering thanks to God humiliates herself, and continue to the subsection, a brief repetition of the preceding chapter on reverence given to priests. This section will be especially helpful in helping us understand the basis for St. Catherine's profound devotion to the priesthood, even amidst the many challenges of her day. Let us begin with St. Catherine's prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal God, eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find, and the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the last segment, which was the 15th in this series, the Father spoke to Catherine about the three lights that are given to souls in order to help them come more fully to divine truth. The first light is the light of faith which is given in baptism and which helps all who receive it to see not just the natural goods of this world, but also how God is at work in the soul and in the world. This light of faith, the Father tells Catherine, is available to all people in any state of life. Amongst those who leave the world behind and consecrate themselves to God in a special way, the Lord offers two additional lights. The first is less perfect than the second and is given to those who seek through penitential mortification of the flesh to overcome sensuality. These are given more insight to the things of God and a better sense of judgment of the things of this world. However, the Father warns that if penance is sought as an end in itself, it can foster pride rather than humility. A sign that a person is walking more in pride than humility is a tendency to judge others. The third and most perfect light 
is one that flows from loving union with God. A soul enlightened by divine charity dwells in grace and peace, seeking only what God wills. Such a soul is not shaken or distracted by the things of this world. She does not take scandal at the weaknesses and faults of others or of herself, since she abides in humility and radical trust in the providence of God. The more fully a soul surrenders herself to the divine will, the more she begins to taste, even in this life, the joy of the eternal life to come. The Father's repeated emphasis on avoiding wrongful judgment of others is applied to the specific situation of respect for the priesthood in the section we will be considering today. If we reflect even a little on the history of the church in St. Catherine's time, we discover that there was much corruption and sin evident in not only the secular leaders, but also in the ecclesiastical leaders of her day. In fact, Catherine is probably most famous for her intervention in trying to remedy the situation of the Avignon papacy, which led the Pope to being subject not only to political pressure in general, but to the great tensions and power plays between the nations. It is important for us to realize that Catherine's profound love and respect for the papacy and for the priesthood were not rooted in an idealized culture or experience. Like her, we see in our own day the human weakness in the members and the leaders of the body of Christ. That is why it's so essential to return to radical trust in the goodness of God and in a grace-filled understanding of what the holiness of the church means. Today's section will help us to recall the profound gift of the sacraments in the church, even at work through the frail humanity of her ministers. As Catherine begins her reflection on an intercession for the leaders of the church, she offers a prayer of thanks to God for the many ways he has shown her mercy. She is humbly aware of how great the imperfections of her own soul are. And in this truth, she sees the greatness of God's mercy. She thanks God for revealing to her so strongly that it is not His will for her to pass judgment on the members and leaders of the church. She thanks God specifically for the gift of the priests who have been given to her as personal spiritual guides. And she asks God to give her a spirit of reverence toward priests. The Father then speaks to Catherine first of the dignity of the priesthood, especially in light of the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. God tells Catherine that He gave all humanity a profound dignity in creation, and an even greater dignity by recreation in grace by the shedding of the blood of Christ. He reminds her that He calls some to be His ministers for the sake of the salvation of all, that through those ministers, the blood of Christ might be administered to the members of the church. When the ministers of Christ give the sacrament of the Eucharist, God's people receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. The Father goes on to explain that for a soul to be prepared to receive the Eucharist, it must have within it the divine life and 
that is given in baptism, whose power comes from the blood of Christ poured out for the salvation of souls. In baptism, we receive the gift of faith so that our souls can be predisposed to receive further divine gifts. The more a soul grows in love through the exercise of free will, the more it can receive the fruits of the grace of this sacrament. The Father points out to Catherine that if we could see the totality of the mystery of the Eucharist, our souls would melt for love. In beautiful imagery that closely echoes St. Thomas Aquinas' great Eucharistic hymn, the Adorote Devote, the Father points out to Catherine that the senses entirely fail in perceiving the mystery of the Eucharist. While our physical senses see and taste only the bread and wine, the soul, with the eye of the intellect enlightened by faith, can perceive the reality of Christ's presence in this great sacrament. And seeing in the light of faith that Jesus is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, the soul can be stirred to adoration and love. The Father reminds Catherine that once when she had undergoing a severe temptation, she went to the church where the priest was offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass. As the priest was saying the words of consecration, Christ revealed himself to Catherine in a vision she saw above the priest's head. From the heart of Christ, she saw light coming forth, and within that light, a dove was visible that came and hovered over the sacred host. The Father reminds her that she saw this by light of the soul, not by her physical senses. And while seeing with natural sight the bread, with supernatural sight, she saw the divine presence within it. So a soul who knows by the light of faith can receive in the power of love and taste the sweetness of the gift of God by the power of holy desire. When a soul is in grace, she receives the most blessed sacrament and she dwells in God and God in her. The abiding love, wisdom, and strength of God fortify the soul in her battles against the devil, the flesh, and the world. Through his divine providence, God willed to leave such a perfect food for all who are pilgrims in this life, that we might never be too weak for our journey, and that we might never forget the love with which the blood of Christ was poured out for us. The Father tells Catherine that he has shown her the profound gift and grace of the Eucharist and the priesthood in order that she may grieve all the more when she sees priests who do not walk in their true dignity. The Father says that when he beholds a priest, he sees in him another Christ, and that he has entrusted the priests with such great gifts for themselves and for God's people that he wishes them to live in the greatest purity, love, and hunger for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. That is why the Father laments any uncleanness of heart in his ministers, especially pride that leads them to seek offices for self-gain rather than for service, 
cruelty toward themselves or others, and any failure to care for the souls entrusted to them by good example and by reverent administering of the sacraments of the Holy Church. The Father points out to her how excellent and radiantly beautiful it is when virtue is found in the souls of his ministers. The priesthood has in itself a profound sanctity in the very calling to administer the body and blood of Christ and all the sacraments of the Holy Church, which receive their power through the blood of Christ. A man who knows his own weakness turns to be illumined by the grace of God and relies on the light of faith to uplift his intellect and receive from God the divine love in his affections. By the light of faith, he clings to the doctrines of holy truth taught by our Savior. He gives himself to prayerful contemplation of God so that his affections may follow the light of faith. And he comes to love what he sees and knows and memory is filled with the goodness of God. Holy ministers are the instruments of God for building up the church, first, actually by administering the sacraments, and second, spiritually, by imparting the light of supernatural science, as they teach the ways of divine truth and show by the example of holy lives how to walk in true charity. The Father offers an extended reflection on how important holy bishops and pastors of souls are. For if they live justly and are faithful to the task of leading God's people, not only they, but also those whom they serve, will flourish. To holy bishops, he gives the power to offer a sacrifice of justice with holy and upright lives, in humility and true love. Those serve best who despise vice and embrace virtue, especially trampling on their pride by the spirit of humility and living in great purity of heart and body out of love. Those who observe justice within themselves are able to rule justly over others, and they become good shepherds since they follow and cling to the good shepherd himself, divine truth. The Father says of these good shepherds that they're unafraid to speak truth in correction when someone is led astray, and like good gardeners, they clear away the weeds and thorns and plant seeds of virtue amongst the field they tend. By their good tending, many saints rise up like fragrant flowers in the body of the Holy Church. This is because they're willing to teach and correct without regard for human respect. The Father says that those who live from their priestly anointing as other Christs embrace voluntary poverty with humility that lifts them above the fear of suffering and insult that might come from men. He says such holy priests are willing to suffer with patience and are like guardian angels who strive to lead souls to God by holy example and sound teaching. When the Father comments on priests who are not faithful to their ministry, he says that it is often because they are afraid with a servile fear to correct and to lead their people. 
They have become so concerned with their own comfort or the offices they hold that they're afraid to speak the truth. And so the souls in their care are often misled. If they become attached to their own pleasures and comforts, they use the material goods of the church for themselves rather than in service to the poor. The Father assures Catherine that no matter what challenges come, for a person who walks in grace, the love of the Holy Spirit was and is the companion of whoever desires it, with the light of faith, with hope, fortitude, true patience, and perseverance even until death. He longs for her to pray and do penance that priests will become good shepherds who are willing to suffer with those who suffer and to rejoice with those who rejoice. The father tells Catherine that her task is to love and pray for priests, not to judge them. All judgment is in his hands. The father knows well that some of his priests will not be faithful to the grace entrusted to them. But he uses another metaphor to teach Catherine how important it is, even when she sees a priest who is not living well his vocation, to honor him for the sake of God and the sake of the graces that come through the priesthood. He says to Catherine, you know well that if a badly dressed person brought you a great treasure from which you obtained life, you would not hate the bearer however ragged and filthy he might be, through love of the treasure and of the Lord who sent it to you. His state would indeed displease you, and you would be anxious through love of his master that he should be cleansed from his foulness and properly clothed. This then is your duty according to the demands of charity, and thus I wish you to act with regard to such badly ordered priests. Their sins indeed should displease you, and you should hate their sins and strive with love and holy prayer to reclothe them, washing away their foulness with your tears. That is to say that you should offer them before me with tears and great desire that I may reclothe them in my goodness with the garment of charity. He says to her that she should pray for them rather than judge them, leaving their judgment to him. Moved by the prayers of holy souls, God will extend his mercy to his unfaithful ministers, and if they receive it and correct their lives, they may be saved, and they may come to glorify God, who is perfect in justice and infinite in mercy. This concludes the 16th part in our series, in which the Father reveals to Catherine the treasure of the Most Holy Eucharist and trusted to the ministry of his priests. The Father shows Catherine the great tragedy of a priestly soul who does not serve the people, but rather himself. And he instructs her to offer tireless prayers and tears for the purification of his ministers, that the graces of the sacraments may be offered in every place, and the witness of holy lives push back the darkness by their light. Next time, we'll conclude the Treatise of Prayer with Episode 17 on the need for prayer for souls and for the Church. We'll begin with a subsection of the difference between the death of a just man and that of a sinner, and we'll conclude 
with the subsection, how this devout soul, praising and thanking God, made a prayer for the Holy Church. Until then, may we intercede tirelessly that priests may be faithful to the grace of their calling, and may we offer God all thanks and adoration for the infinite riches of the Most Holy Eucharist. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven. Thank you.